Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf? I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. This is week number two of Stopping Jesus. Now, I think that may sound a little interesting if you don't have context behind what we're talking about, because context, how many of you would agree, is everything. Context is huge. That's why we read, when we read scripture, we can't just look at one verse and get a ton of ideas just from that one verse. But we've got to look, what is the Bible saying before and after? Who's it talking to? We've got to get context to what's going on. If I just say, stand up here and say, we're going to stop Jesus, well, I might be saying something like, we're going to stop slavery and during the Civil War era. We're going to stop and end to fill in the blank, what, abortion. No, that's so out of context. This is a stopping Jesus. Jesus, you've walked in and you're walking possibly even through. What do we do to cause you to stop? and address what's going on in the room in this place today. And that's what we're talking about when we say stopping Jesus. And our theme scripture for this whole series is found out of Isaiah 66. I love we can take an Old Testament scripture and apply it to stopping Jesus. I love that. So Isaiah 66 and just verses 1 and verse 2. We'll look at that together real quick. And it says, thus saith the Lord. We talked about this uh, and you'll probably get this same little sermonette every week we get together for this part. When, when the Word of God, and we know this is all of God's Word, right? This is Him speaking to mankind. But when there's a moment when it that says, Thus saith the Lord, how many of you know there's something important that's about to come about? There's something that we might need to take extra focus on, listen extra careful to. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I love that He's including us in a place of His resting. Amen? Heaven is my throne. That's my place in which I sit and I rule or I make decisions or I work on your behalf or whatever. And the earth is my footstool. This is where you have a place to sit and enjoy what I do. You see, it's the feet that guide. It's the feet that take. And we are looking at a place in which his feet are resting. And then it goes, and what is the house that you would build for me? And I think it's interesting that he asks us that because he's not challenging us to get our wealth together and he's not challenging us to put our brains together and get the best architect together and build a house he's asking us is there anyone that can really contain my presence is there a structure is there anybody that can build something glorious or grand enough to contain who i am he goes on with and what is the place of my rest and verse three it says all these things my hand has made. And I, I think that in my life when it comes to the righteousness of Christ or being good enough, you realize that we are saved by no work of our own, but by everything that he has done through Jesus Christ at the cross. And we get this picture here that Jesus or God is saying, listen, there is this expanse at which I have built that no man can build. I have done the work. Isn't it awesome to know that in our lives that it's God doing the work? To right the wrongs 
Amen. It's God doing the work to make right that which has been made unright. And he says, and so these things came to pass, declares the Lord. But this right here, this is the key verse. This is the one whom I will look. If you want God to stop and look at you, wouldn't you think the next few words would be important to follow? This is the one. If you want to know, this is the secret. This is the person in whom I'm looking to or will stop and look at. This is the kind of person that draws my attention. The humble. The contrite in spirit. The one that trembles at my word. You see, it's the one that comes to him and says, I cannot do any of this apart from you. The one that comes to him and says, there's nothing within my capabilities, there's nothing within my ability, within my structure of means that can do anything apart from you, Lord God. And when you come to him in that way, in this poor in spirit, he looks at you and says, I'm here and you have my attention. So this is the kind of people we're talking about today. Today in in week two, we're going to look at a very, again, a common passage of Scripture if you've been in any kind of Bible school or been around the church for any length of time. You may have heard this story, um, but I want us to look at this not as a story in a book. We, I oftentimes look at Scriptures and think that, like David and Goliath or uh, Noah, and, and we look at you know Daniel and the lion's den, and we almost see them as fables, kids' tales. But there's so much meat and there's so much strength. Sometimes we need to sit back and read these things for the first time. Ask God to to reveal some things to us that we've never seen, never experienced, never known from these scriptures. So we're going to look today at the blind man at the pool of Bethesda. What an awesome scripture. A moment in which Jesus stopped. But I want to start with asking us a few questions in this room today. How many times do we make excuses for things in our lives that keep us from having any type of victory. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. That's a big excuse. I don't feel like I'm worthy. None of us is worthy. Let's make it a little more practical. I can't lose weight because I have this condition or my pantry is stocked with this or I can't afford to buy healthier foods. I can't stop doing whatever. Fill in the blank because what's your excuse? Maybe it's Let's, let me not step on toes so much and go to this one. I can't go on vacation because I can't seem to get ahead financially. What's your excuse? I can't, I can't, I can't. Yesterday we were swimming in a pool and Evelyn said to me, Daddy, I can't. And I refused to let her live in the can't. And I made her swim on. Well, she had a floaty life vest thing. There was no way she was going under. But she was just trying to swim from this end of the pool to there where the stairs were. She says, Daddy, I can't. I said, we, we don't make excuses. We just do. We go. And, of course, she swam to the other side. What is that thing that you are saying you can't? Can't advance, can't excel, can't grow hair. So let's look at this story together. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Father God, I thank you again for your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as I speak this morning that we would hear straight from God, straight from the throne room of heaven, that these words would be from you and of prophetic nature and there would be none of my flesh that gets in the way in Jesus' name. 
Amen. John chapter 5, looking at the first 17 verses, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jews went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic. It's called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. I'm going to talk about that in here in just a second. In these lay a multitude of invalids. They're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. One man there, by the way, when we look at that, those blind the lame, and the paralyzed. We may not be sitting in this room physically unable to see. We might not be sitting in this room physically lying on the floor unable to talk. We may not be specifically described as any of those things, but I can tell you in all of our lives, somewhere we can find ourselves relating to one of those ailments. Maybe not again physically, but in some form, metaphorically speaking, we can be dealing with some kind of blindness, being lame, or have some kind of paralysis in our lives. One of those things that might keep us from jumping, keep us from doing those things which God has called us to do. And in verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Wow. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Hmm. Love it when Jesus stops and he asks us the obvious questions. Because generally when he asks us the obvious question, the obvious answer, the obvious outcome is about to happen in our lives. And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me down in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another well, I'm, I'm sorry, going another steps down before me. I'm sitting here. There's no one to put me in the water. And when I do have a moment to get into the water, someone beats me to it. Now, I want us to stop here for just a minute. Um, I'm going to get off track of my notes for just a minute. If you'll look at these scriptures, back up, Abigail, a couple of times. Go back to verse 3. Oh, Vanessa. Sorry, Abigail's not doing it. Verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Look at verse 4. Did I leave that out? Look, look in your Bible, Aaron. What translation do you have? Is there a verse 4? What? What? Some of our translations don't even have verse 4 in there. Isn't that interesting? What is happening here is verse 4 is omitted by many texts because it's believed that this verse is just strictly hearsay or folklore or superstition and had nothing to do with the specific words of God. But when you look in the King James Version, we see here, hang on, I told you I'm getting off notes a little bit, which could be very dangerous. Okay, maybe I don't have them in my notes. We'll still get off notes. Uh, it, the, it, it, that's okay, I can, I can sort of get there. The King James Version just describes what this pool of Bethesda is. That the, It said that an angel would come and stir up the waters, and then somebody would be able to go in and get their ailments healed, thinking that there was some kind of a supernatural or divine power or nature to this pool of Bethesda. And so you've got this man that he said that when it's my turn... Somebody beats me to it, or I, or I have no one to put me into the water. And then once the stirring is no longer done, the healing properties are gone, and I don't get my healing. Now, what we 
know to be of this particular pool and within the folklore is there were streams of natural resources coming into this particular pool. And at certain times when those streams would hit, it would stir up the waters. It would bring all kinds of minerals and nutrients into the water. And that is what was said to have been the healing properties of the water. But the folklore, the description of what was going on was an angel has come down and has stirred the water. So you've now got this man and he's made his excuses and he says, I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Verse 7, while I'm going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up. Isn't it interesting? Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And what does this man do? He makes an excuse as to why he's not healed. I remember years ago, I was a closing agent for a title company. And I'll never, ever, ever forget this scenario. I was... Um, showed up to a bank of all places to do a real estate closing. People were refinancing their home, getting a much better interest rate. And got the paperwork before me, and in front of me is an older couple. She's sitting here. He's sitting across from me at the table here. He's got an oxygen thingamawopper stuck in his nose. I don't know what any of that stuff's called. He's in a wheelchair, and he's obviously not doing well. He's labored in breath. And as sure as I'm sitting here, as sure as we've experienced the presence of God in this place today, I felt like God said, I want to heal this man. Speak up and pray for him. There's been a few of those times in my life, most of the times I've chickened out. Isn't that terrible? Can I just be real with you? How many of you have got, God puts you before somebody that's obviously sick and he says, pray for that person. You're going to think it was the chili last night, right? Uh, maybe it's my head, my, my wild imagination. But this time, I, I, for some reason, had the boldness. And I looked at this man, and I said, let me, let me tell you what. I, I, we had discussed, and I discovered that they believed in God. They were um, Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They had confessed to be or professed to be G, uh, Christians. I looked at him, and I said, can I pray for you? I believe with all my heart that God wants to heal you today. Now, I wish that I could tell you that after praying for this man, he recovered miraculously. But really, I didn't even get a chance to pray for him. He looked at me and said, please don't. Because if I get healed, I'll lose my, or my disability check. And I won't be able to go back, or I'll have to go back to work. And I won't be able to afford this house. The excuses that people make. This man, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, I, I can't get in the water. Obviously, this man had no idea who was talking to him. You know, last week we talked about, do you remember who we talked about? Bart, Bartimaeus. And remember, he had a revelation of who Jesus was. And Jesus cried or said to him, what do you want to do for me? Or what, kind of, what do you want me to do for you? I'll get my English right here in just a minute. This man has no revelation of who Jesus is except that he is sitting at a place of healing, ready to have an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus walks in and he makes it easy on him. And he says, listen, he may not have said it in this moment, but I'm going to interject a little bit. With Bart, it was, I know you know who I am. With this man, I know you have no clue who I am. I'm going to demonstrate who I am to you. But he made his excuses why he can't do something. This pool, it's pretty convenient because of its placement for all of these people to lay. I want to talk about Bethesda for just a moment. This word Bethesda, this is the pool of Bethesda. I think it's interesting where reality of this place and Jesus come together to give us a description of who Jesus is and a description of how the church should operate. 
You see, Bethesda means house of mercy. Here is where the free, sovereign, rich, and abundant grace, the mercy of God through Christ is proclaimed. It's on the grounds in this foundation where a sinner finds hope. You see, it's described that there are five colonnades, five covered areas. It would be a place where Jesus would stand up and declare the gospel and demonstrate his goodness. So in verse 8, Jesus says to this man, get up, take up your bed and walk. Did he say be healed? Did he say, how dare you? You miss this opportunity. Do you find him being a condemning kind of Christ? Or do you find him stepping in on the scene, knowing full well the very best for this man? See, there's another place in which we could look at Scripture and say, this is why I need to trust him. Because he knows better in my situation. He can move beyond my excuses. He can move beyond my perceived idea of how things can be. He can move in my weakness. He can move in my humanity. So the sick man answered. No, that was verse back a little bit. So Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he looked, or he took up his bed and he walked. Now, this was the day of the Sabbath. So the Jews said to this man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. This dude had been laying here for 38 years. And as a matter of fact, in verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there for a long time. This wasn't a new dude on the scene. This was a guy where the Pharisees had seen him, the religious leaders had seen him. Jesus has seen him before. He knows his shape and his condition. He has now been miraculously healed. And the only thing, the only thing that the good Jewish people that were full of religion could say to this is, isn't this the Sabbath? Isn't it unlawful for you to take up your bed? And I'm convinced that there could be people that show up in a move of God and miss the point altogether, miss what God is doing because they're so set in their ways on how things should be or how things have been. But I'm here to tell you today that God is an outside-of-the-box kind of God and He's ready to do something in our lives that will confound the religious mind, that will take us and say, I'm not sure how that lines up with Scripture. I'm not sure how that lines up with the things I've always done, and he's going to do something in our midst anyway, and if we will get on board with it, we'll see some kind of a miraculous move, but if all we can do is say, that's not how that should be done, I can assure you that in this place, we will miss the mark, and we might as well shut the doors to what we're doing. So this man answers the Jews, and he says in verse 11, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He did it. I'm just doing what this man who demonstrated great power has done. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? You see, when the miraculous begins to happen around us, when God begins to move in our lives in a big way, when he moves in this place in a wildest imaginations, beyond our wildest imagination, there will be people that will look to us and say, who is the one that has done this? And I want to encourage you this morning to not miss the mark, not miss the opportunity to speak up, for God has set the stage through the miraculous, through signs and wonders, for us to show forth his goodness. 
Now, verse 13, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. He still doesn't have a revelation. For Jesus, at this moment, had withdrawn, for there were crowds in place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. He sought this man out, and he found him in the temple. And he said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Do you see there's a revelation that's taken place now? Revelation generally coincides with dealing with sin. See, a lot of people have a hard time being in a spirit-filled church because it's the Holy Spirit that begins to convict us of our sin. But the thing about the conviction of God that we get through the Holy Spirit that deals with our sin in our lives is it's not a case of embarrassment. It's not a case of continual harassment. It's a place of freedom and divine connection. So the man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So I want to look this morning briefly at four observations of when Jesus stops. Four observations that I've got from a stopping Jesus. When he stops on our behalf. Observation number one, Jesus wants us to state the obvious. How do I know that? Well, we get this in verse six very clearly. It said, Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? You know, it's interesting that all throughout Scripture, we're told to uh, come to him with our petitions and our requests. And all throughout Scripture, when Jesus interacts with man, he's asking them, what do you want me to do for you? Or do you need to be healed? Or what's going on when it's obvious? There could be a, a person come up here in a wheelchair. And if I were to ask them, what do you want God to do? You might look at me and say, well, aren't you crazy? Is it not obvious? But Jesus wants us to state the obvious. He wants to know where our faith is. He wants to know where our hope is. He wants to know if we can envision or imagine what things could be beyond the circumstances in which we're sitting in. So when we state the obvious, certain things happen. First off, we, when we pray for specific things or state the obvious, our minds are clarified. Clarifies our minds. I can imagine Jesus responding to my prayers much as he spoke to Bartimaeus last week. See, there's this, it, it just puts things, we begin to see pictures in our mind. Like last week, when Jesus stops, we learn that he heals. He gives wisdom, like, help me with this kid. Help me love my spouse. Help me know what to say to this hurting person. Help me with the decisions that are before me. We also know that if he heals and he gives wisdom, he also gives revelation. Much like when Jesus met the disciples on the boat as he calmed the storm. Remember, he walked on the water to them. Uh, in, in another account, Peter gets out of the boat, but in Mark's account, Peter doesn't. But the Bible says that Jesus appeared to be walking by them, uh, referencing Exodus 33 when God reveals himself or his glory to Moses. And we see here that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples in the boat. We're given a great revelation when we just stop and speak specifics. God wants to know what we're capable of believing in him to do. The second thing, and when we pray specifically and for specific needs, it helps us define our needs. Sometimes we don't know exactly what we need or what's going on in our lives. 
you ever been in a time of conversation needing to know what to do? So you call to get advice, and just in the midst of asking for the advice, you come up with the solution to the scenario you were in? Much like what happens here. I remember I called Pastor Bill a few weeks ago wanting to know what to do, and before he could even speak, I was like, well, I don't need you now. Thanks. <laughs> he laughed. It was kind of funny, but but there, there just sometimes it helps to speak it out, and it helps define the needs and define the outcome. And then the third thing, ABC, yeah, third thing within observation number one, praying for specific needs emphasizes our dependence and intimacy with God. When we state specifically to God what's going on, it's like saying, God, I cannot do this without you. I need you. I can't make this decision without you. I need your intervention. I need your input. I need you to guide me through all of this. And then the fourth point within this observation. Praying for specific needs makes us more alert to answers. Makes us more alert to answers. If I pray for blessings, God may answer, but I may not recognize the answer when it comes. But if, on the other hand, I pray for bread or something similarly specific, I will be more attentive and alert to the answer when it comes. Got my notes all out of whack here, so we'll see what comes up on the screen versus what, what is next. Uh, sec, point number two, observation number two, Jesus removes the obstacles. When he stops, he removes the obstacles. Remember that we have this man in verses eight and nine say that there's been no one here. There's been no one here to lower me into the water. And when that does happen, somebody beats me to it. There's some significance to the mat. Jesus says, take that thing that resembles your infirmity. Take that thing that resembles your handicap. Take that thing that resembles your inability to accomplish things and roll it up and use it for something different. Walk away with it. Jesus is removing obstacles in all of our lives. Like the opening questions where I talked about we can't do this and we can't do that. Jesus is here today to speak to those specific things and say, do something that you couldn't do to make a difference in something that you can now do because I have intervened. See, faith without works is dead. So he's asking us to put life to our faith by putting works behind it. And observation number three, Jesus calls us to obedience. Boy, this is also, I could say, righteousness. He's called us to righteousness. Verse 14 says, after Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, See that you are, see now you're well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I think of Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 24. It should be up there. Did I put it on there? Yep, okay, look at this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ or in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Where does the, oh, go back, sorry. I didn't give you a hint there. Where does the righteousness come from? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, next one. For all have sinned. None of us gets a free pass on this one. All of us are included in this. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But look at this. And we have sinned and. Isn't this interesting? We've sinned and we are justified. It's not sinned but or sinned or. 
or sin, and then it says we're, we sin and we are justified by his grace. Is this a license to sin? No, this is a license to be justified by his grace as a gift. It's a place to not condemn ourselves, to beat ourselves up, but it's a place to sit in the freedom that he has provided us through the righteousness that has come through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. Look at that. Where is it through? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, he's called us to righteousness or obedience. He wants us to live a free life from the past. He wants us to know his his will. He wants us to walk in the perfect plan that he has for us. We're all going to miss the mark, but he's going to keep coming at us with redemption and with future and with hope and with blessing and with ideas that are beyond our wildest imagination. And he's going to move on our behalf. And then the last observation Jesus challenges the orthodox. I had to come up with another O word. We've got uh, Jesus. Got to get it here. Jesus wants to state the obvious. Jesus removes the obstacle. Jesus calls us to obedience. Now Jesus challenges the orthodox, the religious. Remember when the religious came and said, it's the Sabbath. Why, Why are you picking up your mat? let alone the dude's picking up his mat, right? That he couldn't do anything before, and now he's physically doing something he couldn't do. Jesus is always challenging the religious, the orthodox, the way things have always been in our lives. But it's very clear in verse 17, Jesus answers them point blank, and he says, in a way that's addressing that there's nothing you can do to change me, change the way I'm going to do things. You can take me to my death, which they do. It says, my father is working until now. And I am working. You can't limit God and the move of God to a specific day, a specific time, in a specific way. You can't limit God's moving because he always is moving. You see... When it comes to the move of God in our lives, he's always speaking. He's always doing something. But it is our job and it's our place as believers to seek him out and become aware of what he's doing. You see what I'm saying? You following with me? He's moving in this place. He's moving in our lives throughout the week. I think our prayer ought to not become Holy Spirit and move in this place, but it ought to be Holy Spirit. Make us aware of what you're doing. That's how I open today's service. Make us aware of what you're doing in this place because he's already moving. He's already moving in northeastern Oklahoma. He's already paved a way for the miraculous things to be done in this place. He's already opening doors for this church to grow and to do great exploits within Miami, Oklahoma. He's already set things. Things in motion, and it is our job to be aware of that. But I can assure you that we'll be challenged. But we've got to realize that when they're challenging us, it's not us, they're challenging Jesus. And He's big, and He's strong, He can handle it, He can give us the wisdom. Even with His disciples, He told them that. Not to even rehearse or be prepared at what you will say when people come against you. For the Holy Spirit will give you the right words. So we've got to put ourselves in a position 
just like Isaiah 66, verse 2, where we're humble and we're of a contrite heart, where he can move. You see, we restrict his move. He's capable of moving anytime, but we restrict his move. We restrict his move when we have this I can do it without you attitude. Now, we may not mean it. We may not know, think we mean it. We may not even know it. But our actions do speak loud. And God is calling us to step out to do and allow him in faith to do the miraculous. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.